When you need the independence to speak your mind, you take it on the all-new talk radio, Freedom, Freedom. 106.5 FM. The best insight, instant feedback, accountability, the all-new talk radio, Freedom 106.5. Just about seven minutes after 12, uh, and we're going to jump straight into diabetes and you. Mm-hmm. Every Thursday with the president uh, of the Diabetes Association of Trinidad and Tobago, Andrew Danu. Mm-hmm. Guys, don't forget you can call us 627-3223-625-2257. The president of the Diabetes Association of Trinidad and Tobago is here and ready to provide information to you on diabetes. We're broadcasting live on Freedom 106.5 FM. Get in touch with us during the show. Call us 627-3223-625-2257. You can even send us a WhatsApp message on 306-1065. Let's welcome Andrew Danu. Good afternoon, Andrew, and welcome to today's show. Hi, Clary. Good afternoon. Hey. Thanks again. Thanks again for having us uh, on the show today. Mm-hmm. Um, and thanks for holding on for base. I know you had a long day, but I'm really appreciative <laughs> of that. Um, Not and, a problem. And today on the show, we're going to have a very special guest, uh, Dr. Anisha Ragbir, and I'm going to introduce her in a bit. Um, but if, before that, of course, as we usually do, I like to start off with what's going on at the association. Um, last week, we would have actually launched the continuous glucose monitors. So we had that launch. Um, Dr. Ragbir was actually at the event, so we're going to be talking some more about that today. Uh, so we launched our continuous glucose monitors and we launched our fundraising efforts for the continuous glucose monitors, the CGMs for our children with diabetes. Um, and we've had lots of questions so far. Um, we, we, we actually are waiting a new shipment of the CGMs because all that we have have run out. Um, but persons are very much interested in using it. Uh, and of course, persons are very much interested in donating towards the cause. We're trying to get CGMs for 150 children living with type one diabetes over the next few months. So we're asking persons listening out there to, to, to contribute towards the cause. Reach out to the Diabetes Association. I will share some of the ways that you can contribute before the end of the show. Um, we also had our sixth form graduation uh, this past weekend. And our sixth formers, some of some of them would have been on the show for the last few weeks. And we did have them for the last seven or so weeks with us at the association. And of course, at the graduation, they presented all of their projects. Um, so they did a project on junk food, they did a survey uh, on junk food and young people in Trinidad and Tobago. survey results were very interesting, actually. Uh, we will share it soon on the program. And of course, they also did a program, a project rather, with the CGMs. So they would have done this project with the CGMs, eating various types, types of food um, that young people like to eat. Um, so they, they would have eaten the doubles and, and the chicken and chips and had the juice and the soft drink and saw what it did to their blood sugars. So we're actually going to be producing videos to show, um, well, to show everyone about what what really happens to your blood sugars when you eat these types of foods. Um, we're also approaching November. November is Diabetes Awareness Month. Um, the theme this month is, or the theme this year is know your risk, know your response. So we're going to be having a lot of activities, a lot of a lot of programs uh, leading up to November and in November. Of course, we have our run that 5K that's going to be coming up. We have our national symposium. We have our national day of outreach on World Diabetes Day. I believe it's a, it's a Tuesday this year. It's November 14th. 
uh, and lots of other activities in schools and throughout the country. Um, so that's what's going to happen in November. And I want to remind the persons that we are continuing our free diabetic eye screening program uh, next week, Tuesday. Uh, that's Tuesday, September 12th. We will be at our head office in Shogunas doing free diabetic eye screening. If you do want to test, if you're living with diabetes and you have not had your eyes screened for the year, because you need to do this annually, you need to come down, make an appointment first, of course, call us at the Diabetes Association. The number is 607-3288 and get your eyes screened. So that's it, Carrie, and that's just what I wanted to to, to, to remind our listeners about what's what's happening at the association. Uh, I want to go straight into invite, um, well, introducing our special guest, uh, Dr. Anissa Ragbeer. And she's been working with the association for quite some time. Um, and as I said, she always she, she's always there for us. And and, and she, she was present at the CGM launch last week. Um, and the topic we're going to be discussing today is about um, diabetes and back to school and diabetes in children. Um, Dr. Ragbeer is an endocrinologist who completed training in Wales in 2019. She currently works at the Coover Medical and Multi-Training Facility as a consultant physician and as the head of the Department of Medicine. Recently, she also opened a young adult clinic for diabetic patients between the ages of 16 to 21 who are transitioning between pediatric and adult clinics. So she she runs this transition clinic that we're going to be talking some more about. So I want to welcome to Diabetes and you, Dr. Anissa Ragbeer. Dr. Ragbeer, thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much for having me. And Dr. Ragbeer, we want to go straight into it. And 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 we would have been chatting about children with diabetes on the program for the last few, well, the last year, actually, because diabetes and you have been running for about a year right now. So we've been chatting about that with our listeners and persons know about 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 the symptoms. But of course, we always need to be reminded. So just to, to set the stage, can you explain a little bit about the signs and symptoms that parents or, or, or caregivers or even teachers should be aware of when it comes to detecting diabetes in children? Sure. So firstly, I'm not a pediatric endocrinologist. I'm an adult endocrinologist. But as an endocrinologist, yeah, I could tell you about the key signs and symptoms that people should be looking out for um, for diabetes. So, you know, things like increased taste, frequent urination, extreme hunger, weight loss, you know, despite eating more than usual, fatigue, blurred vision, and those kinds of things. But especially like in the in the in the pediatric setting, you know, things like bed wetting in a previously dry child or heavier nappies and they're passing more water than usual. You know, those kinds of things you have mm-hmm. to look out for um, for, for diabetes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I want to talk a little bit about your experience and the clinic that you run. And but, but before we go into to it some more, can you just tell us a little bit about, about that new um program with a new clinic that you started, a transition clinic, and why is why is having a transition clinic important? So so basically at that age group, you know, we, we all know that um it's 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 diabetes could be a difficult time, especially when uh you're transitioning in that period from from sixteen to twenty one around there. And usually patients, because in Trinidad and Tobago, once you're sixteen, you go and actually in the UK as well you go straight from pediatric link. And this is a system that they have in the UK already because they realize this is a, a vulnerable period. So imagine, 
you know, we turned 16, uh, all our hormones are uh, all over the place. We now figure mm-hmm. out relationships, you know, we have more responsibilities. We yeah. have exams, we have CXE, A-level, starting university, living to drive. So all these are challenges for someone without diabetes. Now put diabetes into the equation and you have all this increased anxiety and depression about having, you know, good good sugars and everybody's behind you about what you're eating and what your blood sugar is and all these things. So you have all these added things. So so we wanted to start this clinic um, to provide healthcare that is, you know, coordinated, uninterrupted, um, and help, you know, these, these, these kids develop, you know, the skills to make better decisions, to communicate better, you know, and to help with the, with better self-care. So, you know, we want, um, this, this vulnerable period for this patient population, um, we want to develop autonomy and self-identity. Um, and for yeah. those with diabetes, it's complicated by the daily demands of chronic disease with all these life stressors. Um, and, and what these studies have actually shown is that during this period, there's decreased glycemic control. So mm-hmm. the sugars go all over the place, decreased mm-hmm. adherence to self-management and decreased clinic attendance. So we want to mm-hmm. create this environment where they come, they still feel cared for, not like when you go to an adult clinic and, and it, it's not like the nurturing environment that you would have in a pediatric clinic and still mm-hmm. have that kind of warmness and and be able to spend time, you know, one on one with with the with the with the patient and and the, the parents because usually they will still be coming with their parents and you know and try and re-explain what diabetes is because yeah. you, in many cases, you know, when they get diagnosed with type one, they, they're probably a baby or a young mm-hmm. a, a child in primary school, so they don't understand diabetes at this kind of yeah. level. So now we have yeah. to re-explain and you know kind of bring everything back to full circle because now mm-hmm. they have a different understanding a different level of understanding and and i hope that that will really impact on their lives and help with better outcomes later on mm-hmm. and and i mean it, it's so important to have this type of a facility available for these um and i mean you you would describe them well in terms of the medical system describe them as adults when they turn 16 mm-hmm. but um for all intents and purposes they may be still be they're still children and if they're 16 exactly. years old and yeah. um so so by having that support um that is you know and I, I, I mean i understand how different a pediatric clinic versus an adult clinic would be so having this transition um that this, this transition clinic is, is is so appropriate and important uh and and of course we know that uh, and we've seen it with our children growing up um the children that we have with our our network at the association at that age they really need to transition into being more independent and taking care of their diabetes more um because of course as they they're younger the, the parents are the ones who are the first the number one caregivers um, as they get older, they need to take care of themselves more. And as you, as you, as you did say, you need to really kind of explain everything back to them and kind of give them give them that um, that information and knowledge and that empowerment. Um, so we're going to be talking some more about that. We need to take a little break. I know basis here, so we'll take a break. But when we get back, we're going to be talking some more about the challenges that these young people face with diabetes. And we'll also talk about some of the advances and some of the opportunities we have for them. So, so over to you, Bees. All right, good afternoon, folks. We now return to our discussion of diabetes and you with Andrew Danu and his guest, of course, the Diabetes Association of Trinidad and Tobago. Of course, our numbers are 
0302-625-2257. And feel free to send your WhatsApp messages to 306-1065. Thanks, Beast. And um, we'll, we'll, we'll turn to some messages um, in a little bit. Um, but we are here with Dr. Anissa Ragbeer, endocrinologist, and we're chatting a little bit about uh, children transitioning from pediatric to adulthood. Um, and of course, a special service that is offered, uh, a transition clinic, which is important for aiding in that in, in, in that process. Um, so we were chatting a bit before the break about the challenges um, that, that some of these children face, because of course, um, they are young people growing up and, and, and they do need to get that special attention. Um, but we didn't focus as much on um, that emotional support that I think that they, they, they really need. And, 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 and Dr. Ragbe kind of hinted on, on, on the hormonal changes. Um, and I mean, specifically as an endocrinologist, Dr. Ragbe, can you highlight a little bit about um, why is it important for, for us to really work with these children a little bit differently from, 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 well, from the younger ones? And how would those hormonal changes kind of factor into their, their diabetes control? So initially what we want to talk about is, you know, that childhood period is a, is a, a time of, you know, rapid growth and development. And when they, when that happens, you know, you have rapid changes in insulin requirements as well. So it's not like say specifically this dose will be the same uh, as it would be for an adult person and mm -hmm. when when these children undergo puberty there's a 20 to 30 percent increase in insulin resistance so there's a rapid increase at that stage as well for 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 insulin so it's always a, a kind of a dynamic period for how 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 are we going to adjust insulin for these patients um but also on a, on a psychological aspect, we, we've all gone through puberty and we know what a challenging time that, that can be. Mm -hmm. So, um, sorry about that. Um, so, so we want to be able to, um, help, help them in, in a much, in a much greater way, because when, when, what the studies have shown is that, and what we would see in all our patients is that during um there's a lot of problems with adjustment depression anxiety eating disorders that also influences diabetes control and two years after the diagnosis children and teens um who have type 2 diabetes type 1 diabetes suffer um two times the amount of depression and adjustment problems than somebody of the same age mm -hmm. without mm -hmm. without diabetes yeah I and Dr. Rabbi, we've seen it in our camps. Eh? We've seen when the children come to us, when we have our camps for children with diabetes, their A1Cs are often very high. They're, they're often very not well, they're often not very well controlled. Um, I mean, recently in the news, we would have seen, unfortunately, a little child succumb um, to, well, I mean, I don't know what the final food it is, but I know the child was living with type 1 diabetes. And uh, we know that many children that we know of um, end up with either very high blood sugars or very low blood sugars and end up in hospital. Um, so we, we, we know that for these children, there are unique uh, challenges that are presented to them because of their disease, but also um, secondary to the disease. I mean, th that those emotional uh, issues that they have to deal with. And I mean, we, we were told by some children that 
you know, when they do take the insulin in school, some children may tease them and tell them they're taking drugs or, um, you know, they, they may want to, they may want to fit in with everybody else and have the food that everybody else would be eating or as much as everyone else eats. eats and then that's an issue. Um, right now, I know of a few children whose A1Cs are very, very high. And um, of course, the parents aren't sure how to treat with them, how, how, how to deal with them. So my question to you really is, I mean, are the pediatric clinics around the country, and I'm, I know you're not an, a, a pediatric endocrinologist, but I just want to hear your opinion on it. Um, are the pediatric clinics, I don't think we, we really focus as much on educating the parents um, as much as, well, well, I don't think we focus as much on education as we do treatment. Um, in your practice and, and working with the transition clinic, how much does education play a role here? I know you did mention it before, but how much does education play a role here? Um, and do you have it in, in, in the program or do you plan to, how, how do you how do you incorporate education? So on education is super, super important. And not just for, for people with diabetes and the parents and the loved ones, it's, it's to raise awareness throughout everybody. So so you won't have that issue where we children going to school and taking the insulin, other children, you know, making fun of them. So we need to have increased education across the board. And I think you all are doing a, a really good job at, at with that platform. And in the clinic though, so when they come, I kind of assess, you know, wh where where the patient is, what 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 that child, um, where, where, he, where he or she is in their level of understanding of what is diabetes. Um, mm -hmm. And lots of times they will, you know, when you when you go down to it, you know, they have all kinds of socioeconomic problems and family problems and all these other things, and yeah. and that have influenced where they are now as well. Um, so it's, it's trying to trying to encompass everything. Mm -hmm. So we I kind of go back down to basics, and um, mm -hmm. and and I'm like, so what you understand? What is diabetes? And most of the time they don't know what diabetes is. Mm -hmm. They don't. They, they just know they have high sugar and they have to take insulin and they mm -hmm. don't understand why and plenty of them are like oh you know what they want to just be a normal child they don't yeah. they don't want to be to have diabetes why mm -hmm. why did this happen to me and that that's 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 we really have to get into changing our our perspectives and mm -hmm. and and really understanding um how are we going to really help this person it's not just by adjusting insulin but really getting down to 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 those core you know problems of of of, of you know learning to heal on all levels because it's not yeah. just a, a a diabetes problem it's a mm -hmm. huge psychological component of it so that's why at the clinic we also have a, a dietitian to help with the diet and 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 helping with that part of things and we also have a psychologist who will mm -hmm. be there to also kind of guide and help mm -hmm. help these kids along during mm -hmm. this difficult period. Oh, that's excellent. And, and I'm glad that you did mention that uh, it's not just about insulin. It's not just about medication. And so many people even, I mean, particularly I would say adults um, living with type 2 diabetes or any type of diabetes um, in Trinidad and Tobago think that the medication is the end all of, of it. And I think it, it, it kind of has to do with, with how our medical system kind of operates and that we focus so much on the medicine, we focus so much on, on writing prescriptions and, and refilling those prescriptions, um, 
that we don't focus on the underlying issues. We don't focus on um, educating persons to empower them to, to, to change their lifestyle, to alter their lifestyle, to actually complement what the medication is doing. Um, and I think that's so important in children, especially with diabetes, more so even adults. But it, it, it's something that I think we need to, to kind of incorporate into the health system some more. Yeah, for sure, because I try to tell all my patients with diabetes, type 1 diabetes, type 2 diabetes, that, okay, you have diabetes, especially, let's say, type 2 diabetes. And mm -hmm. they come to me and I say to them, okay, well, diabetes does come because it's basically um, a symptom of some kind of imbalance in your life in type 2 diabetes. It's about taking medication and that's it. You have to find the balance back with, with your diet and what kinds of food mm -hmm. you eat. You have to find back the balance with exercise, well, how, how, what level of sedentary are you? Are you trying to get in some some kind of exercise every day? And it's also a balance in that psychological factor. Because if you're really, really stressed out, your cortisol level goes up and your and your 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 sugars are going to go up. So mm -hmm. a patient will come to me and they will say, "Oh, doc, I I didn't eat anything today, and I was just in work, and I was this and that, and they were super, super stressed." And then the sugars were so on 300 and something, and they don't understand why it's so high because yeah. you have to balance all three. It's not just about medication at all. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and so 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 we chatted a bit about these challenges that these these young people face. Um, when we come back from this short break, we're gonna be talking about some strategies that we could put in place. In particular, we're gonna talk about the CGMs, the continuous glucose monitors. And I know many of our listeners. Uh, very interested in hearing and finding out about the continuous glucose monitor. So after the break, you could send us a message or give us a call. Um, I am here, Dr. Ragbir is here. We'll also be able to answer your questions about the continuous glucose monitors. So we're going to have a chat about that after we take this short break. All Please. right, and we do have uh, about two or three messages that are coming in there, so we'll get to that when we come back, okay? 12.45 on time, of course, you're listening to Diabetes and You, Andrew Danu, and of course, his guests. And we have some questions there. Should we get into them? Sure, let's, let's take them. All right, we have a concerned parent here. I have an 11-year-old son. He's 11 years old, and his urine smells very strong. Should I be worried? Uh, Dr. Ravi, you want to take that question? Sure. So if his urine smells really strong, it, it, it might be that he might just be very dehydrated, but it's always a good idea to just probably go to the local health center or the nearest GP and, and have him checked and just make sure it's better to be on the safe side, I would say. All right. Another yeah. person here message. I have a neighbor. I keep talking to them about their son. They cook food, home cooked food, and he does not want to eat. They buy fast food for him because he does not want to eat home cooked food. Any suggestions for that? I'm worried about him because almost every day or every other day, it's fast food being ordered for the teenager. Mm. Uh, Dr. Ravir, I want to hear your opinion, and I, I'll I'll put my two cents in. So, so I think we just have, you, you know, it, it's not her child, and it's the neighbor's child. So the most you, you can do as a concerned person is is you know express your opinion. You can't force your opinion on other people, um, and and say well, you know, in a in a nice way, a place place of love, not in a place of 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 accusation or anything like that and say you know well i just worried about you know they might not be getting the good balance with food and they're not getting enough proper nutrition you know and they're growing up you know it probably it might be a good idea to to try and encourage you know better eating and and all those things 
um, and that's how I would approach the situation. Yeah, yeah. I, I I agree with that. I mean, it it it's a very sensitive topic to 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 give your opinion about others, or even if it's coming from a place of genuine um, um, love and care. Um, but sometimes people often misunderstand your intentions. Um, it depends again on your relationship with that neighbor, relationship with that person. Um, of course, in Trinidad, I always like to see, um, and I mean, Dr. Rabbi, you may know it as well, and, and based, you may know as well that the best way to, to, to know about your weight in Trinidad is not your clothes and not your, your scale, but it's actually um the aunties and uncles around you because once it, once they see you that those are the first persons gonna tell you you're gaining weight you're losing weight they always do no matter if you ask for their opinion or not um and i know that's just the culture of how we are in the caribbean um but again you just need to be sensitive about how you you you, you say that because you could i mean you could you could you could it could be misconstrued in different ways um away from the, the intention of course but but I think um, depending on your relationship, you could talk to them, um, or you could encourage them. And I mean, you could you could you could try to see um, how you could assist uh, as well. So very sensitive topic that is. Mm, yeah. Okay, cool. Maybe he doesn't like their food. Maybe I don't know if you have a relationship Probably. with them. You could invite them over to taste your food, and maybe my like you home cook food. Maybe it's how they cook it. Exactly. Something. Yeah. yeah. Right. Something uh, like that. Yeah. Last question. I'm, I'm worried about my daughter. She's twelve. And she, I know it's been hot lately, but she has been drinking lots more water. Um, you know, so there's anything I should be worried about? Drinking water is good. Yeah, Dr. Rambir? Well, if, if you find it's an excessive amount of, of water, the same thing I said, it, it's, it's better to be safe. You know, take a, um, or if you all have a, a blood glucose monitor at home because somebody has diabetes, just just mm-hmm. check and see um what, what the blood sugar is if it's more than 140 two hours after meal or above 160 i would say then then there's cause for concern and um and i would i would take them in to be checked formally for for diabetes mm-hmm. yeah and that's of course for anyone living with diabetes if you're, you're a child or you're an adult um it's better safe than it's better to get a test if you if you're unsure yeah. um than than you know suspecting and and, and not so uh, present to any of your, your your health centers or you go to your general practitioner or you can even come to the diabetes association we do hp1c testing here so we would be able to do the test and direct it to the health center or the doctors if need be yeah so so when uh, you when, when you do test um andrew for the for the especially for the child what is a safe um number what what is mm-hmm. a safe number to play with so as dr rabbi would have said and, and of course for children the ranges may be slightly different for adults um, it depends on if you do if you do a random blood sugar test, and this actually leads us really nicely into the CGM conversation. If you do a, a blood sugar test, a random blood sugar test, it, it wouldn't tell you much information unless it's very, very high. Um, so, so on average in Trinidad and Tobago, we usually use uh, a range of between 80 to 180 milligram per deciliter, um, 180 being the higher end. So if it's higher than that, it's above normal. Um, and, and below 70 or, or 80 at some time is low. And that's, of course, postprandial, two hours after meals. Um, we also use the, 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 the fasting target of between 80 to 125. Uh, of course, around 100 being the middle point there, and we always say we want to aim for around that. Uh, that's fasting blood sugars. Um, but again, 
at different points in time because as Dr. Ravi would have just mentioned, two hours after a meal, you test the blood sugar. If you test the blood sugar hour after a meal, there may be a very high spike depending on what you would have eaten. And we, we are seeing this with the foods that we test in CG, or the CGM. So for example, anybody living with diabetes or without, you drink something like juice, um, even sugar, sugar sweetened juice or unsweetened juice, even just juice. And you'll see how high the sugar spikes. It goes up to 160, 170, 180, um, but it comes back down very quickly. So having a, a random blood sugar test may not be uh, the best test to do. So that's why we always advise to do an HbA1c test. And this test gives you the average of, your, of the last three months blood sugar. And it could give the physician a little bit of a better idea of what your blood sugars were throughout the month. Um, and from that, you could you, you could be able to determine what was the next step. So I would say HbA1c test. For the HbA1c test, under 5.7% is healthy. Between 5.7 to 6.5 is pre-diabetic or a, a, a range that might hint of pre-diabetes. And above 6.5 is where we might define diabetes. Um, again, uh, it depends on the physician interpreting the test and of course where the test is done. But those are the typical ranges that we use. Okay, great. Yeah, Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So so I want to go into the conversation of the CGM because we would have launched it last week. I've been hinting about it for some time. And Dr. Rabbi would have been with us last week when we launched it. And she she would have um described how 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 the CGM works. And the CGM continuous glucose monitor um is really this device which checks your blood sugar consistently. So especially for people on insulin um, and people who may need to, to regulate their blood sugars more tightly, uh, instead of sticking your finger continuously, this is placed onto the arm. Of course, it, it goes under the skin. It's a little cannula that goes under the skin, a tiny, tiny little straw going under the skin, and it continually checks your blood sugar every five minutes and sends it, sends it to your phone and sends it to other people's phones as well. So at the, at the launch, we would have chatted about how the CGM works. And we saw the CGM working for children. We saw the ch CGM working for adults. And we saw the CGM even working for research. So we did some videos where we had our six formers eat various types of foods. And we saw what the blood sugars, um, what, what the effect on the blood sugars were. And we will be released, we'll be releasing these videos very, very soon. Very interesting results when it comes to some of the foods that young people like to eat. But I want to talk to... Uh, Turn to, to, to Dr. Ibrahim and talk a little bit about how important this type of technology is for people with diabetes and, and, and your opinion on the CGM, Dr. Ibrahim. So I think the CGM is a, is a really a great tool in the advancement of, of diabetes and its management. So mm -hmm. as you would appreciate, a finger, a finger stick is just a static measurement in time. But with the continuous glucose monitoring, we're actually seeing all the effects of the diabetes what what stress does did what what different foods does did what different drinks does did and and then it will make us make patients become more engaged in in, in their in their treatment so the, if you you go on in the morning and you eat the doubles on the side of the road and you realize oh my gosh my sugar went up this high well then maybe you might not go and do that the next time or mm -hmm. you drink a soft drink and you see um you know it, it will it will help enforce um good habits and help, you know, hopefully divorce yourself from the bad ones. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The other good things about um, these, these meters is that, you know, it, if you 
you know, sometimes we might miss some low sugars or we might miss some high ones because that's not when we check the blood sugar. So we didn't realize it was going high. Um, just this week, I had a patient, he said, one see, he doesn't understand why it's this high because his, his blood sugar when he checks is, is, is X amount. Uh, but so obviously he was only checking fasting in the morning. So he was yeah. missing all the highs that he was having during, during the course of the day. So, and the other good thing about this is that, you know, we're able to see, you know, when, when, especially in children, hypos and that is a low blood sugar in a child is so, is so bad because you have this developing brain and you definitely don't want to have, have, have any low blood sugars in a developing brain. So mm-hmm. these CGMs are going to send alarms to you, to the patient, to, to the, to the mummies, um, to the parents to say, oh, you know, there's a law right now and it needs to be treated urgently. Mm-hmm. So you're going to have increased safety. Um, mm-hmm managing our type 1 diabetics and mm-hmm. because of the remote monitoring capabilities i could see my patients or any doctors could see their patients you know glucose data um the parents if you have an elderly person and they're living um in a different place and you, you want to know oh i wonder if he's okay if my if my father's okay if my grandfather's okay um and then you just check up on those things and and, and it'll really help to everybody you know peace of mind yeah yeah and just night i actually installed a cgm for one of our members um she she recently had a stroke um she's on dialysis and she lives alone with her elderly husband but her children want to monitor her her doctor wants to monitor her so with the cgm now she's at home and i installed it on the doctor with on the doctor's phone and of course the doctor could get alarms um if the blood sugars are going low or high because the mm-hmm. doctor is Kind of working out her right now to adjust her insulin levels. Um, so, so, so there again is an advantage. Um, with the CGMs as well, it presents an additional piece of information, uh, which we refer to as time in range. Um, and it's something that I think doctors could, could use very effectively to know, uh, besides just having a, the A1C, time in range, especially people on insulin. Uh, I, w- I want to hear doc- Dr. Ragbir's opinion on time in range and what do you... What would you what would you tell persons about time and range with the CGM? So let me explain what time and range is. So everybody has a target range that they want their sugars to be, whether it's between 70 and 140 or 80 to 180. And that would vary according to the length of time someone has diabetes, what kind of complications they have, um, what symptoms they have, but symptoms of hypoglycemia at what number, and those kinds of things. So we want to effectively increase the time and range for patients. So lots of times we can have two patients with the same HbA1c, but patient A will have 70% time and range and patient B will only have maybe say 30% time and range. So it doesn't, and time and range is is a better marker um, and a better predictor of the decreased amount of complications you have over time as compared to someone who is not has had uh, uh, enough time and range because they could have a lot more glycemic variability with highs and lows, which will result in in more complications. Yeah, yeah, and 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 so this app that we have, this CGM that we have, actually presents you with time and range, and tells you your risk of hypoglycemia, which is very very important for persons on insulin, uh, because we know of many persons who sadly taken their insulin and 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 because of the dosage or because of of other factors. Um, 
we know people went to sleep and 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 died in their sleep because their blood sugars dropped too low. Um, so uh, CGM and, and we've had the experience of of a gentleman actually um, having very urgent lows and the CGM waking him up with the alarm. So I mean it, it's very useful for both children, adults, for people with diabetes and even people without diabetes because we're actually going to start a program guided by our nutritionists where persons who just want to probably take control of their lives, take control of their health, can wear CGM for a few days and you could see what food, what exercise, if you're on medication, what medications do to your blood sugar and then be guided to make certain changes to kind of um, readjust. So, so the CGM, I think, is going to be, it is a really a game changer for people in that in Trinidad and Tobago. Uh, and we're trying to raise funds. Uh, we need to raise around $2 million to get these CGMs for a year for these 100 children living, 150 children living with diabetes. So we're on this fundraising effort, and you'll be hearing more about it. Um, and of course, if you, if you would like to have a CGM to try it out, uh, you could call us at the association. It's not very expensive when you compare to testing your blood sugar and having persons who need to test their blood sugar 10 and 12 times a day uh it's actually comparable um but it's something that persons can try for a bit or, or persons um can i mean persons who we've had a cgm on so far they really can't do without it now because it provides them with so much information and so much so much useful protection it's like a other layer of protection for their diabetes as well so we have about 10 minutes left. I know we need to take one more break base, but um, we want to chat quickly about long-acting insulins um, and, 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 well, the types of insulins, but specifically these long-acting insulins, and we would have spoken about Lantus and other, um, well, new newer versions of long-acting insulins but that, 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 that Dr. Rabin has used. And um, so we're going to chat about that a little bit when we come back, and let's just take that short break base and... We'll wrap up when we get back. All right, we return back to diabetes and you, Andrew Danu. And of course, the topic is back to school with diabetes with his guest, Dr. Anissa Radbeer. Thanks, Bass. And, and as we wrap up the program today, we're just going to talk quickly about um, long-acting insulins. Or rather, we could just start about the, the, the main categories of insulins, Dr. Radbeer. And, and um, we know that we, we used to have on the formulary, um, meaning persons could have accessed it through CDAP uh Lantus. Uh, it's no longer there, but uh, we really want to make a strong case for getting Lantus back on the formulary or, or um, other versions or other newer other newer types of insulin. So I wanted to chat a little bit about that as we wrap up the program. No, no problem. So basically what we have to understand about the thing, the insulin that we currently have on CDAP, uh, insulin N or uh, an insulin R which are basically human insulin. So now we have what we call analog insulins, which is um, appears to be a little bit better, and I'll explain why um, just now. So basically, um, first world countries and developed countries have moved away from using N and R, so especially for type 1 diabetics. They use the analog insulins, um, which could be long-acting or they could be short-acting. Um, the N that we have is what we call intermediate acting. So it lasts about 12 to 16 hours in the system. And the R is, is basically um, lasts about eight hours in the system in, in your body. Yeah. So the clinical advantages of using analog insulins is that you have one, you have decreased hypoglycemia. Yeah. And increased 
ease of use because you 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 can do it with a pen. You don't have to be pulling it up with a syringe and a needle, you know, that scary image and have to inject yourself. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a, a lot more user friendly. And also when the pens are in use, you don't, you're not required to store it in a fridge. You, you can keep it on your person and, and use it. So what you want to understand about analog insulins is that when we give that to, let's say a type one diabetic, it's, it's more physiologic. So basically what we mean by that, so people who don't have insulin have a little bit of insulin being secreted by the pancreas all throughout the day. So that basically manages your your fasting blood sugars or your sugars before you eat, you know, things are not influenced by a meal. Mm-hmm. And then when someone who does not have diabetes eats something with like a meal, their pancreas gives them a little pulse of insulin. So, so that's what we're trying to, to mimic when we use analog insulins. So basically, you have this basal insulin in the background all the time that's managing patients so they don't go into um, uh, diabetic emergencies like diabetic ketoacidosis and those kinds of things. And then mm-hmm. when they're going to eat a meal, you, you just have this little spike. So you say, oh, I'm going to eat this meal. I'll have this insulin before. And we'll have mm-hmm. a little spike. And then we'll just take it. So it's more physiological. So if somebody... You know, a teenager decides, oh, I, I want to, I'm not eating now. I want to go and watch this movie. They don't have to take their insulin. And that's mm-hmm. the advantage. It's more fle- more flexible, you know, a better quality of life and all these kind of things. The other good thing about analog insulin, as opposed to human insulin, is that the human insulin, we're meant to take that 30 minutes before our meal. So 30 minutes before breakfast and 30 minutes before dinner. The, the analog insulins don't don't require such a long time. You can take it mm-hmm. up to like 15 minutes or just as you're about to eat. So mm-hmm. you don't have that problem where people forget to eat. And the mm-hmm. reason I wanted to talk about this timing thing is that lots of people who are on NNR take their, or 73 insulin, take that type of insulin after they eat rather than before they eat. Mm-hmm. And then they miss the spike of the food together with the spike of the insulin. So it's not mm-hmm. being as effective. Mm-hmm. And, and that's where, again, the education kind of comes in, but, you know, just not just giving them the medication, but tell them how to use it. Exactly. Um, and I think we're really going to embark on some educational campaigns for insulin in particular. I know that you will help us out, Dr. Ragbeer. Oh, of course. Um, uh, and we're going to be teaching persons about how to take their insulin and, of course, how to, when to take their insulin, most importantly. Um, and, and, and I think that we really need to discuss this a little bit more in terms of having more options available. Are these insulin analogs available in Trinidad, Dr. Rambier? They, they are available in Trinidad, but they are quite costly. So they're not available in the in the public sector um, mm-hmm. and only only privately. So mm-hmm. so unfortunately, if, if you only if someone can afford to buy these types of insulin, then then they can go on to it. At mm-hmm. this, hopefully we will evolve to a better place where we can offer it to all people in the population yeah yeah but better management of course of course of course so so that brings us to the end of the program today dr abir and i'm very happy that you did join us and we had this very fruitful conversation about um diabetes and in, in, in young adults and and, and tran- the transition clinic that you run um i want to just leave any closing thoughts with our listeners and probably even some information to contact you if you if someone has a child with diabetes or a young adult with diabetes and would like to get um access to you um if you can well i'll, I'll probably say um they can 
can attack me through you guys and so just yes. contact the diabetes <laughs> association mm -hmm. and then you guys um can can refer them along to me um mm -hmm. but, but i just i just happy that that we really have this continuous blood glucose monitor available and 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 really grateful that you all continue to be such great advocates for for diabetes in trinidad and tobago thank you very much and uh and again thanks for joining us on the program today um to all listeners uh we have been chatting with dr anisa ragbeer an endocrinologist and we're chatting today about uh diabetes in young adults and transitioning from to pediatrics to adults and of course some of the technology that is available to them uh, uh or continuous glucose monitors which are now available at the diabetes association you could give us a seven three two eight eight that's six zero seven dot um, call us or you could go to our Facebook or Instagram or even go to get more information on our website diabetes-tt.org diabetes-tt.org um, you can go and get information about the continuous glucose monitors there as well um, and they are available for sale at the Diabetes Association um, and we are trying to raise funds for children living with diabetes so that's it for me today Beast. Uh, thanks again for facilitating this program and I uh, and thanks again for, for being there this past Saturday at the graduation oh yes I man I must thank you thank you for having me man it was a great event and congratulations going out to all the graduates Thanks again. So we'll chat next week. All right, man. Of course, folks, you've been listening to Diabetes and you heard every Thursday around this time right here at Freedom 106.5 FM. Many thanks to Andrew Danu and the Diabetes Association of Trinidad and Tobago. When you need the independence to speak your mind, you take it on the all-new talk radio, Freedom, Freedom. 106.5 FM.